Welcome to the Love Before 100 podcast. I'm Rachel Birch, and I'm here because everyone says dating in your 40s sucks. So I decided to make a game out of it. Part scavenger hunt, part bucket list. I made a list of all the ways I could meet my person. Then I assigned every task a points value. The goal now, find love before I hit 100. Points or years, whichever comes first. You got me shaking, This week, we are going to a well-known pickup joint in Newport Beach and crossing that off the list. As I mentioned in episode one, when you go out and about in Newport, it's a scene, like straight out of the worst reality TV show. So let's test my theory that I can't find love in Newport by heading to the shit showiest place in town, shall we? Maybe not my brightest move. But before we go there, Let me take you to the opposite end of the shit show spectrum and tell you about the healing retreat that I went to last week. I spent three and a half days last week at a healing retreat facilitated by my coach, Jamie. I can't even explain the type of retreat. Let's just say it was deep healing combined with magic, combined with growth, combined with reflection. I got to see how far I've come and also how far I have to go. I did some more healing around my brother's death, healing that I didn't realize I still needed. I did some things outside my comfort zone and also some things inside my comfort zone, like going on an epic hot air balloon ride. I bonded with new amazing soul sisters that I connected with almost immediately. And I explored what it would feel like to regress and go backwards in my growth journey a little bit too. But even that was for growth. There's so much that happened on the retreat that it's hard to summarize. So I'll just hit a couple of the most relevant points for our purposes. Like one of the healing exercises we do starts with hip openers with a partner. You lie on the ground and push one of those hard balls into your muscle tissue. The point is that we hold emotions in our body and we're trying to release them. As the saying goes, there are issues in your tissues. I'm partnered with Misha. Before the retreat, Jamie had connected Misha and me on Instagram. I was immediately not a fan. She seemed cold and aloof. I prematurely decided I would not like her in person. I would definitely try to avoid her. Coincidentally, during the retreat, she would casually tell me that she didn't like me at first. Wait, what? Who wouldn't like me? (laughs) We laughed since at that point we had already become close. I started to open up to her and tell her all about the recent men I had dated. I told her about the fireman and the guy I interviewed on the podcast. Let's refer to him as the spiritual suitor. And of course, I start telling her about Minnesota, the guy I met on the plane. I tell her that I'm having a hard time getting 100% over him. As I'm rolling on the ground on this ball to open my hips, Misha says to me, it's only hard because you're not realizing that he's a two. I start to understand what she's saying. If I fully accepted his behavior and his issues as true, and didn't make excuses for them in my head, there wouldn't be an issue letting him go. The next exercise is to beat a couch cushion with a bat. I go to town. I'm pissed, apparently at a lot of people. My arms start to hurt and I lie down on the cushion and look up at the sky. My arms are stretched out on either side of me like in a T and my heart is pointing up to the sky. The whole sky is full of puffy clouds, like a blanket of clouds. It's so peaceful. Having just beat the crap out of an innocent pillow, it feels surreal to be connecting with the sky, but these are the vibes of a healing retreat. 
I feel compelled to speak to the clouds. And so I say to the sky or God or the universe, take him, meaning Minnesota, of course. I imagine a ribbon going from me up to the sky. I think it's actually the San Francisco Giants blanket, the one from the game that I kept as a souvenir and that I still have in the drawer of my closet. I arch my back like I'm pushing my heart and the blanket up. But then as the sky starts to pull this blanket up and away from me, I grab the other end and yank it back. Oh, interesting. I don't want to let go. What's that about? I realize I don't want to give him up. What? Why? I ask myself. Because I don't think I'll get what I truly want. And the memory of having something good seems better than having nothing. Wow. I focus on one really puffy cloud right above me and say with determination, take him. I slowly imagine allowing God to take the blanket. And then I imagine all the Instagram messages from him strung together like Christmas lights and watch them unravel and float up and away into the sky. And no, we didn't take any psychedelics at the retreat in case you're wondering. And then I watch everything happen in reverse, our dates, our conversations, all the way back to meeting him on the plane that day. But then I imagine sitting one row ahead of him on the plane and sitting next to a nice older lady instead of next to him. I imagine looking back and watching him and his daughters and then an imaginary wife walk off the plane. At that point, I feel a little pang of sadness. Take him, I repeat to this guy. Take him, take him, take him. I feel like this guy might actually be listening. I go inside and flop down on the couch. Misha comes in and sits down next to me and I tell her about the experience and she says she doesn't understand why I'm not more hung up on the spiritual suitor instead of Minnesota. From what I've told her, he seems like a much better option. She suggests that I send a text to the spiritual suitor and ask if he wants to grab dinner. That does not appeal to me at all. I seriously have no desire for a relationship with that guy. However, it does give me an idea. What if I text him and invite him to do a follow-up for the podcast? How fun would that be? So I do. I go to my room, get my phone, and immediately send him this text. Hey, it's Rachel. I'm wondering if you're up for part two of the social experiment. Would you be open to a follow-up interview? No worries if not. It could be fun and definitely educational, though. I feel excited. Wouldn't that be crazy? Next, I open the dating app. I have a couple local matches, and I'm playing with the idea of meeting someone for coffee before I go back home. I live about 75 minutes away, so it could be a travel date or it could turn into more. I match a guy who looks familiar. I don't recall if I've just seen him before or if we matched, but our match expired before we connected or what, but he doesn't count as double dipping because we never chatted. I message him with my new favorite opening line. Are you working or playing today? He immediately responds that he wishes he was playing with me. We chat back and forth a little bit and then he says he's going to take a shower. I assume he's telling me this because he won't be responding for a little bit. Nope, because then he sends a picture of his chest and his abs. Okay, his body is crazy. And then he sends another picture. It shows more of his body and it's equally crazy. And then he sends a third picture. It is, well, I can't stop looking at it. I <laughs> show it to all the other girls at the retreat. I should meet this guy for coffee, right? Misha thinks I should definitely meet up with him. We both know Jamie would not approve. We giggle at our new secret. I like Misha. 
She makes really good points. And yet she also appeals to my rebel side. Misha will tell you she's a little bit of a bad influence, but in a good way. To me, Misha is good vibes, bad ideas. Okay, so at this point, to summarize, I've experienced massive, massive healing and growth. And I've also texted a long lost match, the spiritual suitor, and I'm entertaining a date with a sender of unsolicited nude photos. Can we call this winning? Then, just as the retreat is ending and I'm about to head out for lunch with two friends and then possibly meet the nude photo guy for a drink before heading home, the fireman texts. He's just checking in. We haven't been on a date in over a month, but every so often he'll just text and say hello. So essentially we're done, but I just kind of chuckle at the timing. It's definitely divine timing. I go to lunch with my friends and when we're done, I text the nude photo guy. He's running late and asks when I'm free until. I lie and say I have to be done by 4.30. This means that we won't really have sufficient time for a date, just about 30 minutes. So he offers to drive to visit me the next day. Again, 75 minutes. Wow, this guy really is interested, well, in something. I tell him I have a friend visiting and he says I'll come out next week then. I drive home. I feel good about not meeting him today and happy with the retreat. I fully expect to be on a roller coaster of emotions the next couple of days as I integrate all the healing and also the potential regression or exploration of bad ideas that has taken place. Being home and in my own space feels really good. Jamie's staying with me for the next couple of days before she flies back home. The next morning, I weigh myself. I weigh myself once a week, just for accountability. Many, many years ago, when I'd be on diets, I was obsessed with weighing myself and I would often weigh myself multiple times a day. So these days, it's just once a week at most. I find that I'm up eight pounds since right before the retreat. Now, before you start thinking, oh, that's just water weight and blah, blah, blah. Just know that in the past, this false weight would end up triggering emotional eating or permission to eat and it would quickly become a real weight gain. And then plus, plus. In fact, I had already gone up six pounds since launching this podcast. So now I'm up 15 pounds. Wow. I start to feel feelings about this. Yes, I ate off my normal plan on the retreat, but Jamie says the weight is emotional. So I decide to talk to my body. She is holding a lot of emotion from the retreat. But partially, I think she's mad about the nude photo guy and the fact that I was actually entertaining meeting him in person. Okay. I had thought she was on board with this. I try to reason with her. I ask, but really, is a dick pic always a red flag? I try and get some support for this argument and I text my friend Michelle, the serial killer expert from episode three, to ask her about this. I also tell her I do have a couple other concerns. His age is almost definitely wrong. Also, he claims he hasn't been with anyone since his ex and yet he seems to have professional nude photos taken And also, some of his profile photos, and maybe even the nude ones, are likely many, many years old. So after a little back and forth with Michelle, we decide that this man is likely a liar, and that's a much worse offense than the very nice photos that he sent. So I unmatch and block him on my Google phone. And then I remind myself if, and that's a big if, I'm going to do anything casual, it's a swing for the fences kind of thing. A one-night stand is the easiest thing to get. We're shooting for the X-rated Hallmark vibe. There are no dick pics in Hallmark movies, even X-rated ones. Okay, 
So now that that's been handled, let's talk about the weight gain itself. If you listen to the first episode, The Glow Up, you know I've struggled with my weight my entire life. And you know that I used my weight as protection from dating, love, and men. And you know that I finally released the weight. But what you might not know is that I was down almost 45 pounds from my highest weight and my lowest point. So when I saw that I was up 15 pounds in just six weeks, I freaked. I cried. I decided I was going backwards and back to where I was when this whole thing started, hiding invisible alone. The glow down had officially begun because I also have a history of getting things I want and having them ripped away from me, feeling on top of the world only to be shot down. You do that enough times and you just don't want to try anymore. Like, why bother? It's like the proverbial pushing the boulder up the hill. Like maybe the boulder wants to stay at the bottom of the hill. Maybe the bottom of the hill ain't that bad. Maybe I don't need to take this damn boulder up the hill with me. And so on and so on and so on. Quitting time. And what do you think I turn to when I feel alone? Hopeless, like quitting. That's right, food. Jamie and I have dinner reservations tonight. I try to get dressed. I notice that my new favorite out and about town outfits are tight. I grab a spaghetti strap top that I've never worn before. It's old. I bought it for a Vegas trip in 2019 and throw on my cute jeans, booties, and a jacket. And then we head out to the shit showiest pickup joint in Newport. We have a reservation, super hard to get. Had made it over two months ahead just to celebrate the completion of the retreat. We're seated right in the middle of the action. To our right is a table of three guys, hipsters with beards and muscles. One guy had a man bun of sorts. And the one that looks like a young Jason Momoa catches my eye. I'm just looking. I have no delusion that I'm going to talk to him. Next to that table are two legit cougars. They're probably somewhere in their 60s. One has a snakeskin print top on. Definitely cougar attire. I look down and realize my top is also snakeskin print. The cougars are both wearing high boots and have that on the prowl look in their eyes and smirk on their lips. Jamie, who's from New York, looks around and says, I see what you mean about Newport and the competition vibe. Everyone is done up and looks like they've had major work done. A couple walks in and hangs around the bar, hoping to grab a seat. Yeah, good luck with that, guys. The woman is wearing a very short, very tight, bubblegum pink bodycon dress. The three guys at the next table are noticing her. The guy she's with, however, is not. He's on his phone. He looks like a douche. Jamie, who's also a psychic, turns to me and says he cheats on her. A lot. I can see that. Just then our waiter comes over. I recognize him from last time. He was very chatty and friendly with me. Flirty, I might say. I've been here twice before, but that was at 5.30 on a Thursday. This is 7.30 on a Friday, and it's a whole different vibe. I pretend that I don't recognize him. He takes our order and walks off. Then I see one of the cougars head to the restroom, and our waiter slides into the booth next to the other cougar. He's very friendly and chatty with her. He's leaning over, almost putting his head on her shoulder. Um, is this guy a gigolo? Did he think I was a cougar last time? If I wasn't depressed enough already. The food's amazing and the people watching is better, especially with a psychic with you. She motions to the table behind me and says, I want to save that guy. The girl he's with is fucking crazy. 
at the table behind her, there's a gorgeous young blonde in her 30s with an old, very strangely dressed man in his late 70s or 80s. Just then, the three guys to our right get up and leave. Young Jason Momoa is the last one out. The waiter and the manager are fawning all over him. I have to wonder, is he someone I should recognize? As he leaves, he reaches over and shakes the prettier cougar's hand and chats with her for a second. I'm intrigued. It's like being in Cheers, but for escorts, swingers, and gigolos. We finish our food pretty quickly and head out. The manager thanks us as we leave and calls me ma'am. Um, what? This is the man who looked me up and down and leered at me last time and told me I was only allowed back on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays because that's when he works. I laugh and wonder, is this because I'm up 15 pounds? Or is it because my vibe now says, don't fuck with me, I'm too classy for this joint. We go home and I'm just spent. The retreat is catching up to me. We light a fire and start to watch an old romantic comedy that Jamie's never seen, only you. All the romance vibes. Soon, we're too sleepy. I pause the movie and we both head to sleep. The next day, I sit with Jamie and tell her, it's too bad I blocked the guy with the nice photos. She sternly tells me that that would be settling. I cry, again. And out of frustration, I say to her, the exact same words I said back in February before all of this started, I don't think I'll find love, but sex would be nice. And here, it feels like I've hit my lowest low. I'm sad and I'm also mad. How long does a person have to wait? I cry again. <laughs> I tell her I want to give up. Dating, love, the podcast, everything. She tells me I need a healing session. She puts her hands on my shoulders and I immediately feel peace flow through my body. I lay on the couch and listen to a meditative melody. She leaves the room and eventually it shuffles to an upbeat playlist. The first song is Shout Out to My Ex. I laugh, healing complete. At this point, I feel like I've been saved from the brink of despair. I realize that the growth I've experienced over the last couple months is massive. I can honestly say that if I met Minnesota on the plane today, the woman I am now would just leave him on the plane. She would see all the red flags and warning signs and would enjoy the chat and then would end things there. Believe it or not, there were a lot of similarities in the chat with the nude photo guy. And although he was tempting, in the end, I unmatched and blocked him. I feel like I passed a test of some sort. Remember when I thought I was savvy because I'd read the books? Aw, bless my heart. What I have now is real world experience. And I'm grateful for that. Sometimes we just have to learn for ourselves. Sometimes the journey makes us stronger, better. Early on, I would give these men the benefit of the doubt and expected people to treat people like I would. Recently, I started to doubt there are good people out there. I had swung too far to the other extreme. But what I've learned is that people aren't always who they purport to be. Sometimes it's a manipulation to get what they want. And sometimes it's just because they haven't done their work and they're hurting. And as the spiritual suitor so profoundly stated in our interview and then later demonstrated, Many people purport to have done the work and then it becomes painfully obvious that maybe there's some more work yet to be done. And here is where we come full circle to my therapist's original comment, but now with its true meaning. It's gonna take a certain type of guy, 
a guy who's done the work and who's healed. And I just have yet to find him. Where do you find such a man? You don't. He finds you. He finds you. Speaking of which, you might be wondering about the guy who texted at the end of last week's episode. His name's Brandon. He's another 39-year-old and also another guy from Kentucky. We texted a little bit back and forth and he asked what I'm looking for. He asked, do you want something serious or just want to date and enjoy life? I told him both. Eventually, I want serious. I'm not someone who needs to be in a relationship. In fact, I probably lean too far the other way. But I'm ready for a real relationship. I just haven't found someone I want it with yet. He said he was in the same place. And then after a little more back and forth, he faded away. And this week, I saw he deleted his profile. I think people who are on the apps who truly want a relationship get tired of it really easily. I definitely want to delete the app again at this point. While at the retreat, everyone pulled an angel card from Janie's deck. I pulled the patience card. Of course I did. I'm incredibly impatient. I wanted to find love in the first season of this podcast. I start to worry I'm feeling desperate, but then I realize I'm not desperate. I'm just desperate to replace the most current memory of excitement and passion and fun and adventure, all the things that I felt with Minnesota. But I want it with someone new. The key will be to slow down. The whole point of this list is to savor the waiting. And honestly, I've been doing anything but. I expected every adventure to turn into my person. Somehow, I made everything about finding romantic love. And so, although the end game is still love, the mark has to be fun, excitement, passion, and adventure. All those feelings that I'm seeking that I felt with Minnesota. I need to generate these on my own. And that's how I'll meet them. And also how I'll truly savor the waiting. So now I'm going to revise my list again. Where I want to go. What I want to do. Not what I want to get or where he might be. But I hate leaving my house. Can I have a podcast about the many men who come to my door? So now it's Sunday. And Jamie left at 3 a.m. to drive to LAX to catch her flight. All of a sudden, I get this strong urge to get rid of stuff, to clean house, again. Last week, I told you about the drawer. The drawer at the bottom of my closet with the memorabilia from my dates with Minnesota in it. I go to it and open it. First, I take out two of the items, the Top Gun's ticket stub and the pull tab. I rip them up and throw them away. I close the drawer with the blanket hat and t-shirt still inside. It's a good start. Next, I start purging my closet all my really old clothes first. Anything I wore when I was 45 pounds heavier. I'm opening myself up to the new, releasing the old in all forms. As I'm taking clothes down from my closet, I start to think about sending that text to the spiritual suitor. I never heard back from him, by the way. I didn't expect to, but I notice I do feel a bit of disappointment. Is it not having him on the podcast? No. I actually think it has to do with the concept I talked about last week, this Confirmation that when people leave, they don't come back. Not even to say, no, thank you. And then it sunk in. Not only is Minnesota not coming back, but he doesn't even look back to think of me. It was a really short, insignificant amount of time. And even though it was so meaningful and pivotal for me, I know he's already on to the next girl, the next girl, the next girl. I stood there in my closet and thought, Rachel, the truth is, you're no longer even a consideration 
to either of those guys. And I start to feel sad. Not about the spiritual suitor. I could care less about him. It's about Minnesota. Again. The next day I wake up mad. Why is this guy even still taking up space in my mind? I drop my six-year-old off at preschool and rush home for my workout. It's my first workout in weeks since the boys were sick twice and then I was at the retreat. I've definitely lost some strength. In the past, here's where I bow out and spiral all the way back to the beginning. But not today. Today, I force myself. I keep repeating, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Plank, push-ups, deadlifts. I'm not going back. Tricep kickbacks. I'm not going back. Lunges. I'm not going back. Stretch. My trainer chats with me a little and I feel this agitation coming up and I tell her, I have to go. I have something to take care of. I walk upstairs into my closet and open the drawer. There sits the Morgan Wallen hat, a second pull tab, the VIP bracelet and blanket from the Giants game. And also the Eric Church t-shirt. I take the t-shirt and put it on the floor. I grab the hat, the pull tab, the bracelet and the blanket. I walk downstairs and out to the trash can and grandly throw all the items into the trash can. That feels so fucking good. I slam the lid down. I walk back inside and take the concert tee off the floor and put it in my regular t-shirt drawer. I love concert tees and it's a really cool tee and fits really nicely. And I don't feel any charge around it. However, if I find that it brings up memories, I'll toss it too. But for now, I get to choose what stays and what goes. And anything that just serves the purpose of being a memory is trash. Less than an hour later, I get a text from a guy I haven't talked to in two years. He's just a friend, but he asked for my address because he wants to mail me a book he says he loves. Timing always kills me. I make it mean something because that's what always happens in the movies. I reprimand myself. Rachel, timing means nothing. I'm ready to stop romanticizing everything. I decide to go for a walk. As I walk, I think. I think about the many times I've made timing or a sign mean something. I start to lecture myself. Rachel, you no longer identify as a hopeless romantic. How about a realistic romantic or a romantic realist? Hopeless romantic Rachel makes things, timing things, mean things that they don't. And sometimes it's just regular old timing. It's not synchronicity. It's not destiny. It's just chance. Coincidence. Yes. This feels right. I tell myself this new belief system helps ground me into making my own choices instead of letting some invisible force that was well-marketed by the Hallmark Channel run my choices. I get to choose from my gut and my heart and my brain. I get to choose. I feel myself letting go of those fairy tale magical beliefs. And then I start to think about the Christmas cookies that my ex-mother-in-law had delivered to our house as I was leaving for my walk. And I start to think about how yummy said Christmas cookies would be. And then as I'm walking and thinking this, a woman walks by in my normally completely deserted neighborhood. I smile and say good morning. And she says sternly to me, you're not going to be walking so briskly on the way back. And just like that, I know it's a sign. I know that's a message meant just for me. I hear the warning. Don't go down the path of Christmas cookies and holiday treats. You'll be making it harder on yourself. I remind myself, I am not going back. And then I say out loud, as if I'm just realizing it for the first time, these walks aren't just for my body, for exercise, but also for my mind. This is my spiritual practice. I feel relief and excitement. 
like a kid who just glimpsed Santa on Christmas Eve after someone at school said he doesn't exist. There are divine messages and there are signs, but only time will tell which way they go. And it's up to me to be discerning because in the past, I've relied too heavily on signs and not my own good judgment. I have to remember that my signs always show me that I'm on the right path. And what if those messages from men that always come in at just the right time are just confirmation from the universe that I'm on the right path, that I'm still on the path, not that I've reached the destination, just a wink and a signpost from the universe to keep going not a sign that this man is my soulmate and I've reached my final destination. Thank you, universe, for showing up at just the right time and saving me from my spiritual scroogeness. Once I get home, I quickly shower as I have an appointment to get my hair blown out. Tonight, I'm headed out to another one of those infamous Newport Beach pickup hotspots. But this time, it's a cougar bar, the newest item on my bucket list 2.0. And I might even stop by the hotel with my favorite valet Parker for a drink beforehand because I'm down for some fun and adventure and because that's where I want to go, not where I think my man will be. So tune in next week for our season one finale to find out what goes down at the most infamous cougar bar in Newport. I hope you loved that episode of Love Before 100. To play along and get all the behind the scenes and bonus content, follow us on TikTok at Love Before 100. And be sure to come back next week to help me cross another thing off my bucket list. <laughs>